You're tuned to the Risky Business Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Hutting. And I'm your co-host, Michelle Raymond. You can celebrate another day of living. It's a good news business talk show talking about the exponential world, hosting fabulous guests from all sorts of industries and business, talking about trends, shifts, changes, and how you can not only survive but thrive in this exponential world and just celebrate another day of living and of love. Tune in for some inspiration, some exponential leadership, and some interesting thought-provoking conversations. Fabulous sound of Mountain. Leslie West on guitar, Felix Papalardi on bass, and Corky Lang on drums. Famous track, Mississippi Queen. Fantastic sound there, super band. And very appropriate uh, name of the band, as you will hear as we move into this show. The program, of course, is Risky Business, the good news business talk show, and of course, speaking about and into the exponential world. I'm your host, Brian Hutting, my co-host in the studio, Michelle Raymond. Michelle, good evening. Good evening. Quite excited for this adventurous talk we're going to have. It's wonderful. And of course, our very esteemed and wonderful guest, I'm delighted to have him in the studio, Louis Carsten. Louis, welcome to the program. Good evening. Thank you very much. Good to be here. And you are off to nothing other than the toughest climb in the world, K2, in the Himalayas, isn't it? It's actually in Pakistan, so it's the Karakoram. 
Karakoram. Karakoram okay. is Pakistan, Himalayas, more Nepal. Are they physically the same range, though, or are they, you know, is it just a, a border country thing that they yeah, have to, yeah. to separate it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's the only one of those really big ones that's in that's outside of the Himalayas, is it? Or? Look, there's 14 8,000-meter peaks in the world, only 14. Five of them are actually in Pakistan. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. five of them in Pakistan. So K2, the second highest, then there's Broad Peak, Nanga Parbat, and Gashabrim 1 and Gashabrim 2. So five of the 14 in Pakistan. Is this your first one you're doing in Pakistan? First one in Pakistan. Never wow. been to Pakistan. So how do you actually get there? Where do you go? Unlike Everest where you go off to Kathmandu and, and find your way in Nepal, where, would, where do you go in Pakistan? Well, I'm flying into Islamabad. Okay. Uh, yeah. Then from Islamabad, we fly to a place called Skardu. From Skardu, we take jeeps, four by fours, to a place called Ascoli. And once we get to Ascoli, it's about 120 kilometers walk to base camp. So there's a physical walk. Similar to, to Everest and Nepal, where on that side we fly to from Kathmandu to Lukla and then you walk. Now we fly to Skardu, Jeep to Ascola, then we start walking. And you have Sherpas, I presume? We've got Sherpas um, on the climb itself. So the walk, you keep your bags, or do they have some form of assistance with that? Uh, there's assistance, there's assistance, there's porters, people helping okay. us uh, and all of that. So yeah. we must just get ourselves to base camp. Okay. So I've sort of done it, I was going to say, back to front. Let's start at the very beginning. What got you into mountain climbing? Well, first of all, I was never the kind of person who grew up with, his, with these big dreams about climbing mountains. Yeah. It happened by a coincidence, 1998. I was at a dinner party. I met somebody who, who said to me that his biggest dream in the world is to climb Mont Blanc. Right. At that stage, I've never climbed a mountain, never slept in a tent, never done any hiking really. And I kind of liked the guy and I said to him, well, I'll go with you to climb Mont Blanc. And after I committed, I asked him, now, what is Mont Blanc? <laughs> right? He said to me, it's the, it's the biggest mountain in the French Alps. I said to him, do I need to train for this? Because at that stage, I, I had my own business. Yeah. So training wasn't big on the agenda. He said to me, no, you don't need to train. Little did I know that this person had run about 10 Comrades marathons. He's done Ultraman. He's done Ironman. He said to me, no, we go to the Drakensberg and we do one hike, Mount Exhaustus, up to about 3,200. And that will be enough. So we did that. Went to Mont Blanc, totally undertrained, ill-prepared. You know, it's a five-day excursion, two-day climb. There's some training that we did. And my friend and I were so useless that the guide came up with a big story. And he, he bulleted us after about two days. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess he was worried about his own summit statistics. Anyway, got up Mont Blanc. So you got up. How did, who did you go with then if he fired you? Uh, got another guide. Okay. Got another guide in, uh, in Chamonix <laughs> and made Mont Blanc. This was in August 1998. I got back and then this friend of mine said, but he's done Kilimanjaro, so I should do Kili. So I did Kili in 1998. And how did that compare, by the way, with Mont Blanc? I, I, Mont, Mont Blanc is in a different league. It, it, it's harder. It's, it's lower, but it's more technical. It's a say, lot, yeah. more, lot more technical, different kinds of skills. Hmm. Ice climbing skills, cramponing skills. Um, and had, had you done some training in that before you did Mont Blanc? No, I did it in Chamonix. Okay. So I, I, I got, you know, I'm happy to say I got some really, really good training in Chamonix, and I use those skills uh, okay. to this day. But then I did Kili. I didn't like – so I've done Kili three times now. But my first expedition to Kili, I didn't like it. And really, I, yeah. December 1998, and I swore an oath on the summit of Kili that I'm done with climbing. I will never climb again. And what was it about that that just decided – Michelle, I was just, again, I wasn't well prepared. You know, when you're, when you're not well prepared for mountaineering, mm. you know, 
you suffer unnecessarily. It's, climbing is hard, and there's lots of sacrifices, and it's cold, and it's miserable. But if you haven't prepared properly, it makes it exponentially worse. So a big lesson for me was, and it's one of the things that I've taken, that's why I still climb, because if you're not well prepared for mountains, you simply can't enjoy it. And in 1998, I summited Kili, and I just said, I'm done. I will never do this again. I didn't like it. Sure. And jumping forward, you've done the seven summits. So jumping forward, so I've done the seven summits, which is the highest mountain in each continent. Including Antarctica, by the way. Including Antarctica, a mountain just under 5,000 meters called Mount Vinson. Uh So I've done the seven summits. I was the 293rd mountaineer ever in the history of the world. To do the seven summits. Sure, you do. And, and, and sequence? So we did uh, Mont Blanc, we did uh, Kilimanjaro. So Mont Blanc wasn't one of the seven summits or isn't. So I oh, did, isn't it? No. Okay. So I did Kilimanjaro. Yeah. Then I did Karsten's Pyramid. No relation to me. Okay. So uh, Karsten's Pyramid is Australasia. Okay. Where's, uh, whereabouts is that? Uh, Papua New Guinea. Irian Jaya. Okay. Right. So, I did so that it. sort of falls under Australia, does it? Yeah. Okay. So there's still debate. There's some people who believe that the high, that Australia is the continent and then you go and climb Kosciuszko. You know, that's about, I don't know, 2,000 meters high. You know, I'm in the camp that says Australasia is the bigger continent and then you go and climb Karsten's Pyramid, which in my view, it's a proper climb. Okay. Nice technical climb, lots of rock climbing. So I did Karsten's, then I did uh, Elbrus, which is the highest in Europe. It's actually based in Russia. Then I did Aconcagia, which is the highest in South America, Argentina. Mount Vinson, which is Antarctica. Then I did Denali, which is the highest in North America. Where, is that in Alaska? Alaska. It's in Alaska. It's, be- it's a beautiful, magnificent mountain, 6,200 meters. And then in 2010, I summited Everest and completed the seven summits. So just stepping aside briefly for the moment from mountains, you also, to my knowledge, do have two PhDs, don't you? Only one. Only one, okay. Sorry. Oh, what? only one. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Been on my bucket list, Brian, to do a, a second PhD. I did my first one. I completed it when I was 26. In what was it? Uh, industrial psychology. Okay. And specifically stress management. Okay. And, uh, so, <laughs> did that help you? <laughs> I, I, I don't know why I did a PhD at the age of 26. Uh, anyway, I'd, one day I'll do a second one. So having studied and learned how to conquer the mountains within, you're now conquering the mountains without. Something like that. <laughs> That's fantastic. You tuned to Risky Business. I'm your host, Brian Hutting. This evening, Michelle Raymond in the studio with me and our very esteemed guest, Louis Carstens, who is on his way to take on the toughest climb in the world, which is K2. And everything about the show speaks of mountains. So all the music has something to do with mountains, whether it's in the name of the band or the name of the song. And so up next, we've got Joe Walsh, a member of the band The Eagles, the song Rocky Mountain Way.
just so traditionally Joe Walsh, Rocky Mountain Way. Rooting off the album, The Smoker You Drink, The Player You Get. What a title. And uh, going back to the 70s. You tune to Risky Business. Up next, we've got Mountain, the band once again. Leslie West on guitar. Felix Papalardi on bass. Koki Lang on drums. Never in my life have I climbed a mountain. <laughs> an upbeat good old rock and roll mountain never in my life on all of their album covers they used to have in bold print this music is made to be played loud <laughs> you tune to 1485 am on radio today and coming to you also on channel 869 on dstv and of course if you want to tune in on anywhere anytime via your mobile 
you can do that. Just download the app TuneIn Radio and uh, you can pick it up anywhere in the world. What you would look for is Radio Today, 1485 AM, South Africa. You can also do that uh, on, your, on the internet. Just look up uh, Google TuneIn Radio, one word, TuneIn, one word. I'm your host, Brian Hutting, with you, Michelle Raymond in the studio with me, and Louis Costens. Sure. It's so amazing. I, I love being in the presence of someone who's climbed a mountain. I don't know what it is about it, <laughs> but I think it's the adventure and the risk and the inspiration. Oh, I mean, we always have such interesting guests here, but for me, it's always a reminder that life is not linear. It's not a linear process. You're not born, and then you go to school, then you go to varsity or college, then you work, and then you finish working, and then you die. And I think people forget that there's so much that life has to offer. There's so many different avenues and opportunities. And, you know, when you mentioned that you were sitting at a dinner party and you met someone and you just suddenly decided, I'm going to climb a mountain. I don't know how to climb a mountain. I've never done it before, but I'm going to do it. It reminds me of that Richard Branson quote. Just do it. If you don't know how, just say yes and you'll figure it out along the way. And it's so wonderful to do that. And then, of course, you've done your PhD. And I just want to mention to the audience that you also have a family and two boys. Twins. Twins. That's another mountain. <laughs> it's the biggest mountain. <laughs> but I love, I love the story you shared with us earlier. Please share it to the listeners about, about your, your kids on the bike and Edison. I thought so, that was hysterical. So it's a true story. So my kids are, I've got twin boys. They're 15 years old now. So about probably two, three years ago, my wife took them to a bike and Edison for some, some issues they had to, to sort out. And at that stage, of course, I've completed the seven summits. Climbed Everest, climbed two other 8,000-meter peaks, Manaslu, first South African ascent, done by that stage. My wife has got a black belt in taekwondo, competed in the world championships in Malaysia, won two bronze medals. and So we, we're quite active. But my kids are, they, their primary sport is cricket and they like rugby. So I went to pick up my kids from Biokineticist and he called me aside and he said to me, look, he needs to talk to me about something that, that, that bothers him and it's a personal thing. Okay, so what is it? He said, no. He spoke to my kids about uh, their sport and asked them, what kind of example do we as parents set for our kids in terms of sport? And my kids reckoned, no, my parents are rather inactive. <laughs> 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 because in my, the, the world of my kids, unless you play rugby or cricket, <laughs> you know, you're not sporty. You don't write. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think that's a such story. a wonderful, wonderful story. I would love to climb mountains. And in fact, it's interesting. I had a terrible fear of heights as a kid. I couldn't climb higher than the second branch on a tree, which made me incredibly envious. But I had this overactive instinct of self-preservation, you know, as I got up to that height. And I'd watch my buddies all climb up and go to the top of the trees. And it really troubled me for many years. And so I took up skydiving, which cured me and in fact gave me a love for heights. But I've never been on a cliff face, and it's something I would imagine would be quite daunting for me because th th I don't think you've got any greater example of height because it's very relative. You know, jumping out of an airplane is one thing. You, you know, the ground's way down below. You haven't got something to relate it to. But when you're on a, on a cliff face, it's uh, quite different. How, did you, how do you manage that part of it, you know, hanging up there 20, 25,000 feet up in the air? I mean, that's... So I've also done skydiving. And I think it's a wonderful sport. Yeah, I agree. What's different for me on when it gets to climbing and rock climbing and high altitude climbing, it's truly about execution in the moment. Mm. So I remember I was, I was telling a client last year after I summited Lhotse, which is the, the fourth highest in the world next to Everest. Very fortunate first SAS in there as well. 
At one stage, you cross what's called the Lotsi face, which is about seven, seven and a half thousand meters. And it's very steep. And you're on a rope, of course. But I remember there I was thinking, strategy doesn't matter anymore. Planning doesn't matter. Vision, ambition, desire, none of those things matter. All that matters is perfect execution in the moment, not in the next five minutes, right now. I love that. And that, it's that mindset, Brian, that hanging on a cliff face, doing rock climbing, do what I do, high altitude climbing, you know, uh, the world above 8,000 meters, which is for me a fantastic world. You can't think about anything other than what do I need to do now? You cannot let fear paralyze you. You cannot think about anything other than this mountain and now, the here and the now. You can't have any noise in your head. All the clutter must be gone. It's you and the mountain. And that's why I love mountain climbing. So whether it's vertical rock, rock climbing, whether it's like on Everest and Lotse, climbing the yellow band, which is exposed rock climbing at about seven and a half thousand meters, you cannot think about negative consequences. You've got to truly enjoy what you do. And that's the beauty for me of climbing. I enjoy every minute. And coming back to what Michelle also said, I enjoy being on the mountain, but I enjoy the process, you know when I decided to do K2 and all the training I've done last few months. Mm -hmm. So I think you can climb a mountain, Brian. I mean, you've done skydiving. Skydiving is a lot scarier <laughs> than, than climbing mountains. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, I, yeah. Well, that's good to know because yeah. it, it's on my list for sure. I do want to do it. You know, I really do. Oh, come, let's go. Let's do yeah. it. <laughs> I really want to do it. I nearly uh, – actually, I was booked for Kili in 2000 and uh, in, in 99 actually going into 2000 and just things at the time we had sold our business we were in the throes of warranties it was just it wasn't ideal and I had to back out of it which is a pity I would love to have done it. Kili is a wonderful mountain um, as I said I've done it three times yeah. uh, January next year I'll be doing it for the fourth time it is just a spectacular mountain it's a it's a very very special mountain. Is that so? Yeah, well, then... No question it's a very special mountain. Sure. Then I'm sold. <laughs> Tell me about this, I forget his name, so forgive me coming into it and not having it close at hand. This chap who's doing all this amazing free climbing. Yes, so that's a, that's a different league of, it's a different, it's a different discipline of climbing. So I guess it's, it's horses for courses, Brian, to a certain extent. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's trying to understand within the world of mountains, what is your discipline? Because free climbing, it's not something that I would like to do. Yeah. I mean, that's really putting it out there. I mean, you know, you... I, I, I think all the disciplines in mountaineering, to a certain extent, you, you put it out there. You know, I enjoy high altitude. Yeah. That, that's what I like. You know, I like the six-week expeditions, and that's why I do 8,000-meter expeditions now. I've, I've, I've summited four of the 14 8,000-meter mountains. So that's what I like. You know, the, the day climbs or the, you know, weekend climbs... I have huge respect for people who do all the free climbing and, uh, you know, go to Yosemite and, and climb the nose and all of those things. That's not I, – I don't think I naturally, intuitively have got the skills for, for, for that kind of climbing. Interesting. Yeah. My strength is high-altitude climbing. I've summited the highest in the world. I've summited the fourth highest, sixth highest, and the eighth highest in the world already all above 8,000 meters, and then I've done the seven summits. But the discipline in the world of mountains that, that I feel most at home at and which I love the most is high-altitude mountaineering. Wonderful. You tuned to Risky Business. I'm Brian Hutting. With me in the studio, Michelle Raymond, my co-host, and our very much celebrated guest, Louis Carsten, who is a man of many accomplishments, 
particularly in the world of mountains and climbing them. And our music this evening is all about mountains. And here we go. A very appropriate song by an incredible guitarist. I don't know if you know him, really. Joe Bonamassa. No, I don't. You're about to find out. Mountain Climbing is the name of the song. Battle that I ain't even stopped. 
Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful sound of Joe Bonamassa. And up next, something a little more gentle, but something really poignant and, and reflective. A song by Iron and Wine called Such Great Heights. Very beautiful song. Not really about mountain climbing, but it's about looking down from great heights and waving.
sound there of Iron and Wine, a track called Such Great Heights, Risky Business, the program. And we're living in the exponential world, and that's what the program's all about. And risky business, indeed, we're talking about a very risky business thing, which is climbing 8,000-meter mountains. If The thing is, if you follow the process and you apply the right practice and preparation, and you make sure that you are fully in the moment and doing the very best and right thing at the time, you will most certainly manage the risk significantly, not so, Louis. My guest is Louis Carsten, who is a highly accomplished, world-renowned mountain climber with a number of firsts uh, in the world, uh, certainly in respect of South Africans, and my co-host, Michelle. So a lot of good things have come out about this conversation, and two of the ones that have come out for me is Life is an adventure, and it's there to be experienced. It's not just there to be lived. I want to rush to the next year. I want to rush to the next thing. And another thing is always be in the moment because that's where you perform your best. You know, we spend so much time worrying. In fact, Walt Disney said, worry is just a misuse of the imagination. I love that. You know what the opposite of death is? I'm asking you. (laughs) (laughs) What's the opposite of death? Either of you. Alive. I feel like this is a trick question. No, no, no. What's alive. That? Alive. No, it's not. The opposite of death is birth. Life is what happens in between. Oh, there you go. It was That's a trick what happens question. in between. And it's making sure that it's wonderful. In fact, if you look at it quite somberly at, at, at gravestones, you know, you'll see the birth date and the death date, and there's that dash in between. That's life, by the way, the dash. Yeah. So it's not about just dashing. It's about actually no, exactly. pausing and, and, and celebrating that amazing moment that you're in because every moment of that trip that you're going on is is a celebration of and of the magnificence of creation and of life and our ability to actually do what you're going to do. I mean, it's just profound. Brian, one of the best things about my climbing is very privileged. I've been to all seven continents. I've been to Nepal seven times, wow. going to Pakistan now for the first time. It is about the process. Mm-hmm. It, it's about enjoying the the magnitude of the process. Climbing the mountain is the purpose and the goal, but there's so much around it. And one of the things that I do on my trips and my expeditions is enjoy every day. You know, when I get to the base camp, I don't think about the summit. I think about today. Yeah. Enjoying the view today. Then when I do my first rotation up the mountain, because that's how you climb 8,000 meter mountains, right? You go up and down and up and down. You can't just climb from base camp to the summit. It's, the, uh, it's too high. You can't do it. Physiologically, you can't do it. 
So you climb oh, up okay. and then you come down and you acclimatize. It, it's, it's called a climb high, sleep low strategy. So I only think about the summit when I go for the summit, yeah. which is in week four of the expedition maybe. Up to that point, it's enjoying the moment and the day and that part of the expedition. So it's week four of the journey. How long is the journey? You've spoken to me of almost sort of two months. So typically 8,000 meter peaks, it's about, let's say a week, week and a half to get to base camp. There's about four weeks on the mountain and a week off. So it's about six weeks. Okay. I, I summited Mount Everest on day 54 of my expedition. So that was a long one. Okay. So explain to me what happens afterwards. After the expedition. Yeah, so once you've summited. So once you've summited, it takes about two days to get down the mountain on 8,000 meter peaks. Okay. I don't... Is that... Do you abseil a lot down the technical yes, path? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Abseil a lot. So it's, it's a lot faster. Yeah. And the only objective is to get, get down safely, get to base camp, no real enjoyment at that stage. I mean, yeah, maybe a sense of gratitude and, you know, I've done it and it, it feels good. But on my four 8,000 meter peaks, once I've summited and getting down, hasn't really sunk in yet. It's only when I get back to, like in Kathmandu, you know, then you walk out from base camp, you walk out to base, uh, out of base camp to Lukla, for example, in a pole. And then you start to think about what it is that just happened in the previous six weeks and the previous six months and maybe the previous six years. Because I've been climbing for 20 years. And then you get to Kathmandu, some very famous pubs in Kathmandu. <laughs> I, believe, I believe they do have an Irish pub in Kathmandu. In Lukla. There's an Irish pub in Lukla. And there's a Tom and Jerry's. There's some very famous pubs in Kathmandu. And then I think you let your, your hair down and uh, then uh, you, you enjoy it. And, and, and I enjoy it. I enjoy what I've done on the mountains. That's wonderful. That's awesome. You tuned to Risky Business. It's such, it's such a pleasure. We've got Louis Carsten in the studio. And I, I sit here in awe and excitement. I can just, I, I've got a very vivid imagination and I can just imagine what it must be like. I'm, you know, clearly it, I have no idea what it's like, but I can imagine what it's like and how incredible it is and how it's just uh, really teaches us to be in time. Whereas we so through time in the world, you know, rushing that we don't stop to celebrate the moment and moving, moving, moving. And, and wow, Louis, it's incredible. So let's have our second last song of the evening, which is by a great band, of course, Led Zeppelin. They certainly climb mountains in the world of music. A track called Misty Mountain.
Great sound of Robert Plant, Jimmy Page, John Paul Jones, and John Bonham, who tragically passed away down in his swimming pool. You tuned to Risky Business. <laughs> As I said, even, even rock has, uh, rock certainly got its casualties. There's no question of that. But the Risky Business we've been talking about tonight is the summiting of 8,000 meter peaks and Louis Carsten's who is a leading specialist in this space, is with us just prior to his journey to K2 in Pakistan to take on the toughest climb in the world. Louisa, tell me how, I mean, when we talk about tough climb, what makes it such a tough climb? K2. Yeah. I think, first of all, it's the uh, just the technical climbing uh, on K2. If you look at a photo of K2, it's almost a perfect pyramid on all sides. So there's lots of vertical climbing on K2, vertical ice climbing, vertical rock climbing, lots of work on crampons on rock at altitude. So that makes it difficult. I think there's no easy days on K2. You know, on other mountains, there's an easy day here and there. The third thing is the weather. The weather in the Karakoram is notoriously more unpredictable than what we have in a pole. And I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's the isolation of, of K2. You know, you don't have the, uh, I think, the, uh, the services that you get, for example, on Everest. Yeah. But it's a hard climb. It's a hard sure. technical climb. And just tell us a little bit about this journey of preparation from a fitness point of view that you've done. Fitness point of view, I've been training for a long, long time. I'm, I'm always training. But for the last six months, starting December, it was a dedicated training program. So I train very hard. Uh, I track my training, my hours, my kilometers, my altitude that I gained on climbing. As an example, two weeks ago, went for the Sunday to Sakerbosi in Heidelberg. Hiked for eight hours, about 18 kilograms on my back. 25 kilometers, 25, 26 kilometers. Tough day. So it's a variety of training. Not a lot of gym work except for some upper body strength, but it's, it's out in the road and getting time on your feet. That's how I train. 
I try to do something every single day. And how many hours at the moment are you putting in in a day? Probably per week. Uh, I, I try to do about 20 hours a week at this stage, mm-hmm. which is building up. And then I'm leaving now in the next couple of days, going to Clarence for, uh, to Drakensberg for some last-minute training. Hopefully, I'm aiming to do about seven days in a row of about seven to eight hours a day. Yo. Sure. And all this training, how much time do you spend on the summit? Not a lot, because when I summit, I want to get down, mm. right? So every summit, I was probably there for about 10 minutes. All my 8,000-meter peaks, I've done four, but no more than 10 minutes. When I summited Lotsi last year, I got to the summit. I called down to the base camp and said, I'm on the summit. Took, a, took five photos and then got down. I wasn't even 10 minutes on the summit. So we just about to close out. I can't believe the time just goes so quickly on this show. And I have you back when you get back. When are you sort of roughly due to get back, by the way? Second week in August. Okay. So we look forward to that and hearing great things. And just some any words of advice, pearls of wisdom, doesn't have to be about mountain climbing, but about life and about challenges and about being the best that you can, that you'll pass on to the listeners. For me, it doesn't start with a dream. It starts with ambition. Yeah. It's then about the vision. Then it's about the desire. And then it's about the sacrifices. And then only do you get to success. So for me... Ambition is the anchoring of, in my view, of, of how we should live our lives and how I try to live my life. Ambition, personal life, business life, mountaineering, try to impart that to my kids, their sport. It starts with ambition. So the, the sort of consequence and currency of what you're telling me is worthiness. It's worthiness, yeah. And it's about getting the worthiness in terms of being the best that you can on the particular day in that particular endeavor. It's not about chasing goal after goal after goal. Of course, that's important, and that's, that's part of having ambition. But just living the moment. Mindfulness, it's about the here and the now. Michelle. Exactly what you said. What's the time now? Where are you? Here. Indeed. Louis, Godspeed. Bon voyage. Have an amazing climb. Get back safely. We want to hear all about it. And just uh, get every bit of juice out of it. Eh? Thank you, Brian. Thank Thanks, you so Michelle. much for coming on air. Thank you. And I'm, as always, reminding you that if you're not with the ones you love, love the ones you're with and take time to show and tell the ones you love just how much you do. Take some time to love and care for yourselves and look on, take, climb that mountain inside. Take a look, take a deep look inside and ask yourself the question, where am I going to go today that will make my world a better, brighter place? And uh, be, just be found guilty of many random acts of kindness. We're going out with Kate Bush with, of course, the track, especially for Louis, King of the Mountain. Have a great week. Could you see the guy who was driving? Could you climb higher and higher? Could you climb right over the top? What does a multi-million dare? Fill up his home with priceless junk
tuned to the Risky Business Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Hutting. And I'm your co-host, Michelle Raymond. You can celebrate another day of living. It's a good news business talk show talking about the exponential world, hosting fabulous guests from all sorts of industries and business, talking about trends, shifts, changes, and how you can not only survive but thrive in this exponential world and just celebrate another day of living and of love. Tune in for some inspiration, some exponential leadership, and some interesting thought-provoking conversations. 